Welcome. Welcome, welcome to JavaScript Jam Live. What's up, Ishan? Okay. Hey, Scott. Can you hear me? Oh, yep. good. Okay, so you cut out a little bit. I heard welcome, and then it cut out as it transitioned me to uh, to speaker. So I don't know well, if you did the intro. If not, I will go ahead and give the station break, as I like to call it, if you haven't already done it. <laughs> nah, yeah. I haven't jumped in yet. Okay. Go for it. Yeah, welcome to JavaScript Jam. This is JavaScript Jam Live. JavaScript Jam, go to javascriptjam.com, is a podcast for front-end and full-stack developers. And we've had a lot of great folks on there, creator of Vue.js, Evan Yu, creator of Blitz and Astro have been on it. We've also had some Chrome developers uh, on the Chrome team on it. But JavaScript Jam Live is our open mic night. It's what we host on Twitter Spaces. Previously, we've been hosting it in Clubhouse for over a year. Anyone can come, raise their hand. Hey, I'd like to talk about this. And we'll switch the topic to that. And usually the audience will have an idea or entertain uh, additional questions or insights. So entirely try to be audience driven as much as possible. We always show up with ideas and stuff to talk about as well. And we want to hear from you. Whether you're a beginner or an expert, feel free to raise your hand. We always get questions uh, from beginners as well as experts. Don't feel intimidated. In fact, if we're going really deep on a topic, feel free to raise your hand and request to be brought to the stage. We'll bring anyone and put us on a more beginner topic and vice versa. We have no, no questions jumping around. Anything web development or JavaScript is on topic. So with that said, let, let's get started. Let's see. We've got Eric. We've got Theo. Let's see if we can get Theo's becoming a regular as well. Get him up here as well. I don't know if he's coming. I asked him. Oh, you did. You did invite him. Okay. Yeah. But Eric hasn't been up in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. I'm in the middle of cooking, so I might be in and out, but nice to be here. I, uh, I really liked your list of topics that you have planned for today. So. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Like, great. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, they're like, I was thinking nothing new has happened, but then I saw your list and I was like, actually, all of these things are interesting. So. Anyway. Yeah, go ahead. No, potentially the biggest news is rest in peace, Internet Explorer. Isn't that today? It's the date on its tombstone. Oh, is it? Yeah, the government, I think. Oh, no. Microsoft dropped support for it. Yeah, that's true. I think out of today. So was it today? Internet Explorer end of life? Is it today? Let me Google right now. Oh, yeah. Today is the day. This is quite the day in history. This is, this really is it. You're right. It is dead as a, that is big news. I remember back when that was a lot of the motivation for a lot of the first frameworks. It was really, oh, yeah. To paste over the differences between the browsers yep. and the gecko back when it was Firefox and just IE and we we're doing boot tools and script time tables. So, in some sense, it was a source of innovation. And I know that it was either UK or US government, the metric that was as long as the browser has something like 2% or 3% market share, they have to support That's the US. That was the US. And they, they dropped IZ, I think, a few months ago or even earlier than that. Yep. Those of us who have covered these days are, are cheering. <laughs> you can be. In respect, can we rename the space today to actually script jam Oh, that's a joke. Yeah. Yeah, we let's see if we can. Oh, is it, oh you my, can. Yeah, why don't you just click the colon? My Microsoft Internet Explorer. Get the head up, heads up, Eric. I'm getting a ton of background noise from your cooking. It sounds great, but it's a little hard yeah. to hear everyone else. Okay, I'm going to mute. Sorry. <laughs> That's true. I thought I might get burned here shortly. <laughs> okay. Is there anybody all, is sad to see IE go? Like, for some of us, we're like, 
somebody's still using IE 11 and I know it's being used a lot and has been in enterprise context historically, but is there everybody has a hot take that's controversial on, on IE disappearing? I, I don't have anything hot, but I have some interesting like edge cases that I dealt with when I was at Twitch, trying really hard to convince Twitch to stop supporting IE, which we did about a year after YouTube supporting IE, which I still find hilarious to this day. The main pushback I was getting was that in South Korea, there were gaming bars and like dive-in spots with like computer setup. And a lot of those computers didn't have Chrome installed yet. And I kept asking people to prove it to me, to show me a picture of one of these fucking places that doesn't have Chrome on their computers. And nobody could. They couldn't prove it existed. So the metrics, the metrics proved it didn't exist either. So at that point, we finally killed it. But like, there was this weird suspicion for a long time that we'd be killing our traffic in South Korea because of dive bars that had IE only. And it just ended up not being the case at all. Wow. That is hilarious. Even the metrics didn't show a lot of IE traffic, especially if you isolated just to South Korea. People were still convinced this was there. There's like misinformation that was living on. Yes, like cultural misinformation, like within the company. It's fine that these things happen a lot at companies with like strongly opinionated technical people, which is funny because I'm one of those people. But like for a long time, Twitch refused to use some or React Native because for a long time, there was an article that Twi one of like Zavir wrote the week that React Native came out publicly where he had tried using it, concluded that React Native isn't ready for Twitch could like rough in these places. A year later, that engineer came around. It became like so pro React Native, he actually moved to the web team and started working on web full time as a mobile developer. But to this day, Twitch still refuses to use React Native and cites that old article from 2016 as their justification. Wow. That is, that's really fascinating. I have experienced that. I've actually been on both sides of that. I've had an engineer where I said, hey, we should do this optimization. And then the team came back and said, we ran the number. Here, take a look at our sumo logs. And then if you imagine, to extrapolate out and it would have only improved performance by this marginal amount it's not worth the effort it's always great it's that i think it was the guy from netscape he used to have that saying oh if it, we're going by opinions we'll go by my but i'll listen to anyone with data it really pays to be paying attention to those metrics that's really fascinating on um, which even in a technical sphere we tend to be driven by gut instinct that's really interesting eric you always have something interesting i come up with these things that for topics and then you always have a, something more interesting on your Twitter stream. You... That's so weird because I feel like I don't. Like every week I'm like, oh, Wednesday's coming up. Nothing has happened. And then you guys show me the interesting stuff that has happened. But then, yeah, somehow some other thing happened. I don't know, whatever. So looks... not to keep trashing the, the planned list of topics. And again, a reminder and shout out. If anybody in the audience has something they want to talk about, feel free to raise your hand or a question or, or something on JavaScript web development. I was on Twitter today and I tried to be on it a little more on, on Wednesdays to see what the pulse is. And it wasn't on the list I sent out, but there was an interesting tweet from Swix, Sean Wang, and he was saying he's slowly become a Dino land convert. And this is actually, and I popped up on my feed today, but it was from a few days ago. And he says, so many smart design choices and he's slowly become a fan, but I'm curious if folks have experienced or tried Dino, have tried a based runtime or have tried a, a V8 and if other people have experimented with their thoughts or feelings between them. I have the day zero at Deno, so it was still called Deno at the time, but yeah. that I'm really proud of. I've been a large fan of Ryan and the work he's been doing there for a bit ever since the 10 things I regret about Node talk that, that spawned into Deno back when it was still built in Golang and out of like promises and bad ideas. It's since evolved so much and it really does feel like the original promise of what if we rethought 
Node.js to do the things I want a Node to do, but it doesn't anymore. It really is meant to be a quick script, write code and run it solution, which is very different from like, in a lot of ways, Node is more a build system than it is a runtime in terms of how we use it, think about it and build around it. Whereas Deno really is focused on being a runtime and nothing else. And I think that there's a lot of potential benefit there, especially as we see things like Netlify, Superbase, and all these other platforms using Deno's runtime for their serverless function architectures. I think that shows the strengths of Deno as a runtime in particular. Yeah. Do you have a preference between NADs in the context and why this is top of mind for me, very selfishly? is today or tomorrow of the company I work at closes an acquisition of another CDN. And so we've actually got multiple runtimes we're deciding between. We have V8 Node, we have Dino-based ones, we've got another one that compiles down, um, and we're actually actively discussing pros and cons and which ones are the best. So I'm actually very curious what people think between all these different runtimes as we try to work to harmonize because we actually in the position of being able to pick and choose which of these we think is the best. And we want to make sure we pick the right horse to, to ride on into the future. Deno is a much better runtime with a worse ecosystem right now. That's <laughs> a hard bet to make. Depends on yeah. so many things. There isn't a right answer. And there also isn't too much of a wrong answer either for that reason. But like, you're picking one runtime that's so many easier to work with that has way less stuff to use, or you're picking a runtime that's notoriously rough on the edges that people have been smoothing those edges so hard that the average node developer doesn't know how much node sucks because they emitted or ripped somebody else's repo. They deployed it on Vercel and never had to configure anything yourself. So to get that level of like seamlessness in any functional like JavaScript environment, Deno will get you there a lot faster, but Deno won't get you there with the ecosystem people expect. So it's like a really hard bet. And you have to think a lot about the intended user, what their expectations are, what things they're using instead, and how to serve their thoughts and their expectations as well as their needs. That is the trade-off. In fact, we put it down to ecosystem versus what architecturally seems to make the most sense. Unfortunately, the one that is the largest ecosystem is the one that the most server had to work and scale and integrate compared to the one that has the smallest ecosystem versus engineering advantages. Do you know of anyone doing a lot of work on any of the providers that are using, say, or WASM-based runtimes? I know a lot of folks, especially those who don't come from the front end and full stack, there's a lot who come from maybe a Rust or more backend or their use cases are more, say, AI at the edge and things like that. I hear a lot more interest and action there on, on WASM, but I don't see it as much from the front end and full stack ecosystem. I don't know if that's been your experience or not. I don't want to hog the whole room, but I will say yeah. that I've never seen a compelling Wazo use case outside of like some of the weirder stuff Figma's doing. I think that Deno is two to three years off its prime. Wasm's five, generally speaking, right now. Like it's just the Wasm runtimes, the expectations yeah. that they have are not in the best state yet. And I haven't seen many compelling examples, even like a Wasm-based Rust runtime that is a super minimal runtime for making web pages is only three times faster than worst case React SSR. And React SSR is notoriously slow. So I don't think that there is much there yet. That doesn't mean there won't be. It just means I haven't seen anything compelling to convince me at this time. Yeah, I think where it really got, you know, it's compelling is where you're bringing over something that was just written in a native area and you don't want to have to report it over. But in the case of web, you already probably wrote it in JavaScript to begin with. And actually WASM support for JavaScript 
raw JavaScript and plain JavaScript isn't as good as would be in, in native V8. And that seems to be the ingredients dispatch. And yeah, I agree. It's, I, we've said internally, maybe it's 10 years off. The wise of future sounds great. I just wish it was already here. I don't know. Anybody else have any opinions or thoughts on different runtimes I've played with or they've heard about in this space? So I haven't heard, I haven't done a lot of investigation on this, but I did talk a lot with the guys at Remix about this. And they are very much focused on being runtime agnostic and to support everything. And let's just say they are very bullish on Deem. They think what's going on there is going to change the world in a way that some of the other big corporations that are in this space are not. From that, were I to look for a edge computing system, I think I might well, turn towards Dino. But could you say more? You teased a lot there. <laughs> <laughs> no, that they, they 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 can see a larger future for for Dino than they can for say Vercel. Like Vercel is reselling their own it reselling AWS basically. And you can only resell Okay, but again, you can only resell, there's only so much money to be made in reselling someone else's stuff. And if you start from the ground up and build your own thing, there's potentially more there. I guess I will, is the argument. I will admit to my mild humor in that the Remix guys who are building around React are the ones who are saying that, but. Oh, for sure. But, but no, they started with React because that's the incumbent, but they also want to be agnostic in that respect as well. So. They flip flop from that one, like 15 separate that I can found. I've watched them like go from, yeah, we're sure for everything to get in, getting into fights with Ryan Carniato on Twitter, like back and forth. I chat with Ryan a lot, actually, because of how frustrating it is, because it seemed like they were interested, but anything that resembles interest beyond signaling, we don't tend to get much of, which has been frustrating, even for like obvious things like proper type safety and HMR. I think they're coming around. I've personally seen Ryan Florence like making amends and walking back some of his like more obtuse stances. <laughs> I have a lot of hope for Remix. And I also do have a lot of respect for this take in particular. I think that one of Deno's biggest strengths is that as a builder who works in some solutions that others will consume, Dino is much more enticing because it removes like something that's like as much as I love Node and TypeScript, something that's both of them do very hard is they move the burden off of the like user-facing developer and onto the maintainer of libraries and systems that we develop in. For TypeScript, it's great until you have to build a package with generics in it. And then TypeScript suddenly becomes one of the most miserable parts of your life, which is why we see so many maintainer, maintainer like Ryan C from Solid who just do not like TypeScript, even though we as developers that build for users can clearly see the wins. I think Dino's going to be in a similar boat there where or not necessarily but it's going to be like almost like the opposite where it has moves out the maintainer library builder and like that level of developers experience so significantly that it feels more like react than it does node or typescript in that way where one of react's biggest wins is how easy it made it to for library maintainers to build pieces that play nice with react react is why both next and remix can exist and so many other things can form out of that i think all like things like GraphQL largely exist because of React as well. I think that with good primitives, with lots of extensibility, tend to come ecosystems. And I can totally see why people who have been building on React for so long 
conceive, you know, in a similar way. That definitely makes sense to me. What I will say is, in terms of the betting on Dino versus Vercel, if Dino turns out to be the right bet, Vercel will move to Dino the same way they've been moving to Cloudflare more and more for their edge workers. I think the benefit of an abstraction like Vercel is they can constantly move to what's best versus a hard tech thing like Dino. If it turns out what they're betting on is wrong, they're fucked. Yeah, I think we could separate out the company versus the runtime. Sorry, I think somebody else is going to jump in. Go ahead. No, I was just going to, has anyone tried Dino Deploy? Yes. A little weird, rough around the edges when I tried it, which was like six, seven months ago, but super promising. That was before they had pricing, which was annoying because I didn't know what it was going to end up costing. And when I saw the pricing, it was a little high for my planned use cases, but it's an interesting solution. Their network is really promising. It's one of the better non-big name edge networks right now. And if I was to, like, I'm probably going to be doing some experiments with WebRTC stuff on it just What's promising about it besides its size? Mostly the size. Like it's, it's the biggest edge network I've seen that isn't from either like a really sketchy no name that I don't trust the network actually works or one of the big three. Do, do they publish who they're running on top of or is that proprietary information? Was not published last I checked. That may have changed some of the recent announcements, but I don't think that was public before. Yeah, I had, Great I had, there. that's what I was asking. Okay, I have to go. Theo, that was really intelligent, and I have just followed you. And But I have to go for today. So goodbye, everybody. Okay. Chad, thank you for bringing up those points. I love to hear specifically how the Reno community is thinking about these things. Super helpful. Thanks, man. Good job. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, one thing that's worth mentioning is, look, Ryan, the creator of Dino, was at Remix. So he was obviously invited on stage to speak which shows their interest in, in that. But I feel like my interest is separate from the company. I'm just trying to figure out technically what's the right solution as opposed to parts of Dino are open source. We have a Dino runtime ourselves. So I'm just trying to figure that out. I'm curious if folks have any technical preferences as opposed to like Pops, for example, is we've got an easy answer to. We have a ton of Pops. We have almost more Pops than ever given the video heavy use cases our company has done. But as it relates to, can you run these frameworks or what is it like to say, bring either Remix or Next or one of those into an edge environment that runs, say, for example, wow, you're going to run to, are you going to run into substantial issues where it's not really pure JavaScript support? If anybody has any thoughts, feel free to raise your hand. Otherwise, I think this is a good segue to Remix call. Because that was one of the things I had in the doc. Crystallize had a good summary of Remix. And in fact, JavaScript Jam did do a session live from the floor of Remix Top a few, a few weeks ago, which is, I think, still available for people to go back and listen. And I encourage folks to do that. Did anybody read through those who are on the panel that get the email I send out every week of topics? Did anyone read through the Remix Top list and see if there was anything that gelled there? Oh, I think we got Henri. He was also a speaker there. Let's bring Henri up here. Okay. So while I'm sending him an invite, looks like we get, did somebody just add a, Scott, was you adding, did you just add the project for Next.js backend? No, I added that a while. No, that was the, or we had a topic. Oh, that was the, yeah. Yeah, I thought it would be a fun tangent, but we don't have to go into that one yet. No, Uh, let's go into that because we have done a whole episode on Remix Comp. Let's talk about that one. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I, first, I actually want to talk a bit about the, like, thoughts on the different runtime thing. I think that there's a weird two-way evolution going on in JavaScript that we haven't acknowledged the inherent opposition in it yet. In one direction, we are 
buying more into native technologies for the things JavaScript is bad at. Things like ESFilled and SWC for compilation. Things like Prisma for building like a Rust database connection and accessing that through TypeScript. And on the other hand, we're seeing things like moving more into fully containered like V8 isolates in Cloudflare workers and Dino and these other solutions. It feels like there's an inherent opposition there where none of the edge runtimes can run Prisma right now. And that's scary to me. It feels like we're, we're losing a lot of the win due to that. Oh, interesting. I didn't realize none of the edge runtimes can well, run. Well, you can with Cloudflare now. That's very no. relevant. Uh, you have to through Prisma Data Proxy, which isn't actually running Prisma on the edge. You're running Prisma on Prisma servers, and you're connecting to it through a shimmed version of the SDK on the edge. It doesn't actually run the Rust runtime for the DB connection. It doesn't connect to DB directly. Yeah, but does it matter? If you're... Yeah, absolutely. You just doubled the number of hops to get to your data. Yeah, I don't know the trade-offs well enough. I'll know that. I tried it out and got the thing to work, but it's... Yeah, I don't know. I more than the number of hops. I'd actually be concerned about connection contention and things like that, which is generally the bigger folks run into when they take something that runs in a more serverless context from talking to databases. But let me back up here. So, what is the reason that school meet? What is the reason like can't work in a worker context? Is it just it's designed with Node APIs or something else? It's the combination of Node APIs and bindings to native stuff like Rust specifically. Prisma is 150 or so megabyte binary, and it runs native code in mm. anything that's more worker ice, like Cloudflare's way of building things. The only native bindings you have access to are the very few that they gave you, and they like heavily discourage using them. Like things as simple as FS to like calling out yep. external commands and such like it's not the node runtime so much as yeah. a traditional like machine with a runtime they have access to. So in theory, wouldn't you be able to run that, say, in a WASM slash WASI interface? And WASI be yeah. the shim for basically all the, that functionality you would expect inside a WASM runtime. If you could if fit you, that big thing in, in there. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, if you can get that to fit, if you can get that to be performant, if you can make an interface that's intercompatible with a traditional Node.js runtime, and you wake it isolated well enough to continue working in V8 isolates, perhaps. But, but I just, that's so much inventing to do for a very small win. And I don't think, I think that the win is hard enough to describe that nobody's going to bother making the investment because it sucks to build this. And what we're going to see is like a slow move away from Prisma to something that's a little more JSE for like SQL that might not even end up being as good. And we'll have to like, as a community reflect in the future based on wins that are hard to describe. I just, I foresee a reckoning in the near future where we start moving away from native solutions back to more JS and Wasmi stuff without a good story as to why. And it's more because of the deployment story and nobody will communicate that well. So just foreseeing a little bit of the future. Interesting. That's, you know, going back to what we talked at the beginning, it's an impedance mismatch and it's going to drive the choices we make in our tools. Are there alternative candidates to Prisma? That you that could run doing that. Nope, I've been bullying Planet Scale into building one for a bit now. I think that a more focused my biggest problem with Prisma is they want to be the ORM for everything. And the last four releases have been almost entirely focused on MongoDB support. I couldn't give less of a shit. I want the simplest SQL thing possible that gives me a type safe result in my client, ideally something I can run on the edge. The first person to solve all of those problems for me gets a really loud advocate. 
Got it. And just so I'm clear, the Prisma client is 250 megabytes? 150, I believe, but yes. It's 150 megabytes because it's got native code in it? Correct. A lot of it. Why does it... So I don't know much about Prisma. Why does Prisma have native code if it's just making... Expecting to SQL any other way is pretty miserable. Does it maintain a long-lived connection or is it doing them it, through... It, it depends on how you deploy it. It's built to deploy in any solution. Like Prisma can work on serverless. They recommend it. For a while, they recommended like Prisma or how to do like data proxying if you were using Prisma in serverless runtimes. Yeah. They, for a while, it really seemed like they were heavily encouraging it, but since Serenus took over, they kind of had to go all in on it. The spin-up time for Prisma isn't the best either, so it's not great. So yeah, that's the current state of things. I've done a bunch of tests trying to compare Prisma data proxy, which is like running the client on a lot of distance somewhere else, and then having yes. a minimal client layer that calls that externally and could never get performance comparable to even like a cold starting Lambda. Okay, that'd be like an RDS type setup, similar to Amazon RDS, basically. You're basically running yeah. a long work proxy somewhere else. Yep. And you'd be able to, like, if you deployed a Next.js app with Prisma through EC2 instead of through Vercel, then the Prisma instance there would be long lived. Yes. Yeah, that made sense. And I guess then it's because the connection to the database it's probably using whatever that database engine preferred connection protocol is, which may not even be raw. Yeah. It's TTP. Correct. That makes sense. So then there's a deeper question, which is why does it make sense? What is the right solution for data? And I'm going to use the database data, very dynamic data, queryable data at the edge anyways. Does it make sense to be fetching that data at all from an edge, especially if it could be cached and pushed to the bunch of cache nodes more efficiently. Like why does it, unless you're in a personalization context or I don't know, an example where it's hyper geolocalized, like maybe a chat pod in a certain area. Like I, I forgot what that AR thing was that they did. I was like, was it Harry Potter or no, it was a Pokemon. I could imagine edge processing being used for that. But what are the other use cases where you wanted to actually have it query from the edge and why? the right way to build a style system now we have components it shouldn't be that hard right it's like sometimes with new technologies come much harder questions that there are no right answer to i think that the big thing that comes with a move to the edge is a significantly more complex data architecture story that we don't really have answers to i certainly don't like every different use case can have an entirely different answer one of the most stark things i notice as i've been hanging out more in the remix community being like deep in the next world is yeah. the way questions are answered there is fundamentally differently. The amount that sentences like just add Redis get thrown out in the Remix world is still baffling to me because Remix, by being on the edge, they've made the runtime so fast that they've now punted the caching and data access problem to you as the developer. Whereas in Next, since everything's fast, not super fast, but fast enough, they built really good caching primitives into the framework itself so that I, as a developer, have a clear path for every different type of caching, invalidation, static generation, et cetera, that I might need. I can treat next like the catch. Remix forces me to think about the catch externally. So I've actually made that same statement before, which is, I'm fond of saying, it's like a T.S. Eliot quote, which is what Next.js did well is they brought us back to the same primitives. Under the hood, it's still just caching. We just know it's better for the first time because it's now easier to use as a front-end developer. But I guess what I'm trying to understand is 
in either, it made sense to catch things on the edge. It makes sense to compute certain things on the edge. But if you're going to make a database lookup from your edge node, why not just go to an origin server, which is closer to the database edge? If you have to incur the cost of a database lookup, what are those use cases where you know, it happening on at the origin makes sense? So I'll give you an example where you don't need to do that, where the edge makes sense, like authorize the JWT. You can push the keys you need out the edge and the edge can compute and authorize everything as it comes through without having to look at the data. You could do even personalization by looking at cookies. You don't have to go and fetch data. But the moment I have to go make a user lookup, why even bother doing that action at the edge anyways? I'm already in your hop to some database that's somewhere else, unless that database itself is broadly distributed. Last month, has anyone played with D1 from Cloudflare? I've heard of it. I've not played with it. Yeah. So they, it looks like they're, and again, it's another proprietary thing that they're building just like their cloud functions, but it's a distributed SQL light database that runs on the edge, which sounds a little wild. Yeah. No, that, that makes so good too. That's the thing. I'm seeing more and more distributed SQL solutions to help answer that side of this problem. Even PlanetScale just put out three multi-region read replicas. So you can spin up your same DB with read replication in multiple regions. You still have to write and do mutations to just like the one main DB, but this gives you much faster read times in other regions. I generally think that the problem here is not necessarily one of, is this going to be infinitely slower so much as there's a lot of benefit of having the request be processed as close to the user as possible from streaming where you can get a bite down to them as soon as possible and have a meaningful response to not having to think about five different runtimes in your application. I think the biggest win for me from Next, and it's been it's taking me a while to yeah. realize this, is how much less shit I think about because everything lives in this one very simply architected application. Everything goes into one and a half runtimes. The, Versa or the like Lambda runtime where the thing's first generated, which has a few gotchas I have to not call window. And then the browser runtime, which it passes on the exact same code over to. Once we start splitting between a Lambda that's close to your database, an edge that's close to your user, a like entirely different database system. Maybe you add Redis in the middle somewhere to catch things. You just significantly com complicated the story and don't necessarily have better performance as a result. I think we're actually saying the same thing then. That yeah. yeah. Sorry, there is something that I want to bring up with all this is that I think databases on the edge will definitely have their place. But when it concerns user data, I think databases on the edge is going to be a massive compliance issue, especially in European countries where your, your enterprise customers are like, where's my data hosted? And you go, it's hosted in 25 nodes around the world. They go, but we want it just to be in the UK. So it's that thing of, I can see databases on the edge taking very quick data, say shopping, e-commerce, products. You want that product list to load as fast as possible. But I think data that is necessarily collected with user data and like KYC data and sensitive data, I think databases at the edge is going to be a really hard compliance thing to tackle in European countries. And... I feel like it's compelling enough, like things are like if something's deleted from the main DB, then it gets deleted from the rest within a certain time window. I don't think it's going to be that big of a compliance issue. I don't think that, I think it's easy enough to talk your way around that the legal folks won't give a crap. And it's been a long time since legal crap prevented like a meaningful web tech and innovation, not super 
sure about that take. I have a different take that blends the two. I think it will be an important consideration for enterprise use cases, and there will be a lot of value. I think depending on the industry and vertical you're working in, it, it may not, but there will be certain folks, especially in potentially like data sensitive verticals, like maybe you're in healthcare, or maybe you're just dealing with user information and you can't have PII. And I've had to, we've had to validate whether we're PCI compliant. We've had to talk about where, whether we're GDPR compliant and had to deal with it. It is an overhead. I think it's manageable. And what infrastructure providers are going to do is going to actually use it as an advantage and say, Hey, we can, if you are enterprise, we give you the ability to lock that data and it's processing in one region, if, depending on what the definitions of data process are, according to whatever that regime is. And it's going to be a situation where you might be have, if you're a global company and you're in lots of regions, you're in EU, EU says the data has to stay in there. You're in the US and I think US are a little bit different on it, but California has, I think what's called CCPA. And then I know other companies. Countries in Asia are also making these requirements about where the data has to stay. And so for the largest companies, it will be an overhead and an additional cost to operating. And I'm sure startups will not have to worry about it till they get to a certain size. That's my prediction is how that will shake out. But there is some value, I think, in tackling it. Even for like medium, large companies, I would expect this to be a problem that like AWS has a switch you flip that costs you another half a million dollars a year and then it's solved. I don't see this as like a problem that we as independent developers, even like developers working for big companies necessarily have to solve unless our customer is those big companies. If our customer is users and we're trying to be compliant for legal reasons, I would expect that to be something that we just outsource. That's that, I think we're saying the same thing. When I say there's a lot of value there, it'll be an upsell for enterprise customers and you will pay somebody to solve the problem for you. Sounds about right to me. It just boils down to the lawyer to developer ratio at your company. <laughs> Oracle's going to make a lot of money on the edge. <laughs> yeah, they'll, uh, they'll be Oracle have their edge platform. Absolutely. That you can tune for a million dollars to very specific geographic locations. <laughs> Completely agree. I, I would say this, we joke, but I have talked to development teams at large companies and talked to their CISOs, their security officers, and it's not the everyday developer who cares about it, but there are developer types whose job it is to care about this and make sure that the organization is in compliance. Maybe the short way to say is if you've got a CISO and you can afford that, can also afford to pay the extra premium, the infrastructure provider is going to charge for this. But maybe the whole regulatory regime gets a lot simpler in the last next five, 10 years, but I don't imagine it happening. I imagine more falconization. And that is a change that is, if you were to say which way the slope is going, towards more or less balkanization of data, it is, I would say to Chris's point, that is a, a trend that has gone up over the last few years. Just look at how Bennett Devins has talked for the last three or four years, like regulation is coming to everything in tech. We'll just have to pay a premium for it. We may not have to worry about it. It'll be like browser differences between IE and Firefox. I have something to abstract and like somebody's going to care about it. We'll have to pay for it somewhat. Yeah, I think it's also that thing as a European developer, you just feel so scolded by the GDPR and like cookies and we're building a new website. And one of the highest requirements to our customers was that we put literally a word saying GDPR tick in the, in the hero image to be like, oh, this product is good for me. 
that's my type of customers that are very like security focused. Maybe that just grinds on me a bit more than the average developer for sure. I think that's I'm built for streamers. So yeah. yeah, I'm on the exact opposite side. I worked at Twitch for half a decade and now my like biggest customers line is tech tips. It's pretty cool. A big one show watcher. So I guess you help with that one. Yeah. If you've seen all of the episodes where they have a guest come in remote, like when they had COVID and shit with the green screen shit, I not only built the tech for that, I also did the Photoshop job to do the masking. So it looked like they were behind like the water bottles and shit. That's awesome. <laughs> pretty cool. Very cool. I think this is a good point to switch over to the next backend topic that I tend to tweet about. I feel like this is a conversation that isn't had enough. I'll just ask a question to what you guys think. Is Next.js a front-end or a back-end framework? Oh, boy. Isn't it the back-end of the front-end? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, that's what I was actually going to give the same answer. There's a, a link in the document I sent out, which is Michael's article about how design systems fall apart. And one of them, there's actually two front-ends. Like, there's the back-end of the front-end and then the front of the front-end. Yeah. He said he would love to join us for this conversation. Um, he gets back in town at the end of June. So I don't know. Oh, okay. We can save that until later. But sorry. So yep. I have the same answer as Jason. What is your answer, Theo? I'll let Christopher go first. I think by trying to define it in a section, it breaks down because it's every section. It's every framework, in my opinion, can do pretty much everything. And if we don't define what they're good at, Everybody just shoehorns everything into it. I would say personally, Next.js is a very solid framework for building like applications, not websites. So I would say it's more backend than a front end. Can I have never half agreed with it take that hard? You first. Can I jump in real quick just to say one thing? So you guys were speaking of Prisma earlier, and I thought it would be really cool if we got someone from Prisma on here and... I did pull someone in. They came and joined us. Austin Krim here. I didn't know if you guys had any follow-up questions in regards to the conversation earlier. And maybe it would be good to hear his perspective on it as well. Although we're jumping back. Let, let's spend another five minutes on this. Or we've got 14 minutes left. Yeah. So let's do seven minutes on this. And then we can circle back with Austin. Our right. have fun next week. Uh, but I want to get Theo's topic. Yes, absolutely. Okay, good. I think close this one out pretty quick. I'm very excited to have somebody from Prisma on the chat with, so I'll be quick on it. I think that we've had a lot of, I should say we've had, I have seen a lot of interesting borderline bad takes on ways to build solutions. And I just got out of Y Combinator. The number of startups that are using Next to build their like crappy marketing site, create React app to build their actual app, and then a huge old broken express app for their backend on something that could be two API endpoints in Next and a much better experience overall and allow them to move faster and deliver for their users' needs better. Just it's baffled me. I feel like we need to call Next a backend framework for the sake of the developers who don't understand how to use it, even if its strength is more like in the middle as like an API layer for application development and an application that and the framework to build the application itself. I think calling it a backend framework forces the conversation into the space where it should be, which is the infrastructure and the ability to make real queries and like the ability to define an API that close to your application logic significantly reduces the amount of application logic and API you have to build. And I find that people become suspicious of that and then go and build a backend because they think Nexus for front end. 
I can't keep putting APIs in here. That's dirty. I need to go build my Nest.js backend or my Express backend to hit set. And for that reason alone, I think that calling Next a backend framework is a bit more honest and helps developers get the right mindset when they jump in. Because I know I even, like I started using Next.js as a developer that chose to move away from backend to be a front-end developer for four or five years. And Next almost tricked me into becoming a full stack and backend developer again. And I never been happier as a result, but it would have been, I think it would be helpful for this next generation of devs getting into it to understand that Next isn't for your front end. Next is for building an application back into two. So basically what you're saying is that people have cut the system into too many separate services when they could have they cut it into separate services without understanding or reason because the yeah. words used to describe those services felt like holes they needed to fill. The understanding was I need a front end and a back end. I'm going to pick next for my front end. What should I pick now for my back end? Which is how we got this pin tweet, which is by another Y Combinator founder. What is next for back? Next is next for back end. Yeah, I don't know why you would, especially in the early days, not just use next for your APIs. That makes a lot of sense if you decide to use it for the rest of the front end. So that's what you're describing. Simply because we call it a front end framework, people just think they need to spin up something else that's on Express separately. Yes, I would like to ask the best rhetorical question. What is Next better suited for? A marketing website or a dashboard? And think about that. I think that it's, those are its two weakest cases right now. They're trying to address yeah. the latter at the moment with the Layouts RFC in particular. The Layouts RFC is like a dream for dashboard developers. But right now, its sweet spot is right in between. It's something more dynamic than a marketing site. It's more static and more application-like than a dashboard. So for me, building a video call app like Zoom in the browser, Next is the actual perfect framework. There is nothing that would let us move as fast as Next.js does. That's just the reality we live in. But when it comes to more like our marketing site or like even my personal site, I want that to be as close to static HTML as possible. So I use Aster for those things. Yeah, you should I agree. Uh, I was just going to say I agree. And I built our donation checkouts in Next.js because... When the data needs to be regenerated, Next is great at that. And when it needs to remain as static as possible, it's okay at that. And that was the middle route we picked. We also have a Redwood API underlying all of that. Shh. No one needs to know about that. that whether you see a backend or not, you have an entire backend that you ignored in that explanation. <laughs> that doesn't help clarify the situation. Hey, I've got, I've got API functions in my Next app that talk to my backend. And... Well, that sounds like a rap lyric, but basically I agree with the take that it's for things in between a marketing site and a app dashboard. Should we just explain for the audience why that is? I totally agree as well that Next kind of occupies that middle ground, but should we just explain for the audience why? I'm happy to do this, but I don't know, Theo or Chris, if you want to jump in. I drew a diagram for the file back that I just pinned, actually. I, yeah, I, great. Yeah. The reason that Next isn't the best thing for static is it expects to ship a decent bit of JS alongside it, like over 100 plus kilobytes. And that's just a lot of runtime for mostly static stuff that has very, like yep. JavaScript is for things that change. Next is very JavaScript still. It sends you down hydrated HTML. So it sends down HTML that's correct the first time, but for the buttons to start working, it has to send that 100 kilobytes plus of JavaScript. Remix is a little better than, or a lot better, I should say, than Next at doing a zero JS experience, which is why it goes further left. 
but its absence of like HMR and reasonable cash store prevented for being useful for more app application style development. Because when I save a change in my remix app, it refreshes the whole page and disconnects from the call that I'm currently debugging. It's actually non-viable for the types of applications I am building. React can stretch pretty far either way, but it's not super static, so it doesn't work great for that. And the reason Next struggles more in the dynamic, like dashboard type thing is those tend to have very heavy nested routes. So you have slash dashboard and slash dashboard slash user then slash dashboard slash user ID slash payment ID slash country checkout code. And those types of deeply nested URLs that have specific layout expectations suck to do in Next right now due to their layouts being very page like file specific. So every route is a file, which makes it hard to nest. That's being fixed with the new layouts RFC. I have a video about that on my YouTube if you're curious. Yes, I was about to mention, you have a really nice walkthrough where you go through the layouts RFC for that dashboard use case and nested ranks. We're at the seven minute mark. So let me just turn it over to, to back to the Prisma topic. Austin, thank you for joining us. We still have Austin here. There we go. And we were talking, just to bring up the speed, we were talking about running Prisma inside a worker type context. And the challenges that are there, partially due to the size and the fact that it has native code and native binding. What are you guys, what should folks look forward to in that? Or what are the challenges people should be aware of? Or more general, what's Prisma's role at the edge? Yeah, those are great questions. I think, first of all, this is my first time in a space, like a Twitter space. I think it's really funny that I'm sitting in front of an expensive Shure SM7B microphone. But I'm talking to you all through my iPhone, right? But yeah, Prisma at the Edge, it's a great question. And it's one that we've gotten quite a bit with the proliferation of Cloudflare workers and Purcell and Netfly, Netlify and all them offering Edge functions now. So I will say like today, you can get Prisma client to work in a Cloudflare worker. It's not ideal. And we're aware of that. And this is something that came up actually, because I was using the data proxy. Does that still count? Depends on what you mean by does it count? I would say it counts. I was like, I mean, it's, is it a big enough trade off that kind of negates even being on the edge in the first place? Yeah, that's totally context dependent. It depends on what kind of application you're building. We know that's not everyone's going to want to use the proxy. There are trade offs there that people aren't going to want to make. We're aware of those. So we're hoping to improve that in the future. I think you, you mentioned already some of the challenges with the way Prisma utilizes native code or like our compiled Rust binaries to interact with the TypeScript client. Those are rather large and not currently able to be run in something like the Cloudflare worker. So that's something we're going to have to overcome. But we thought the, the data proxy solution was a good stopgap in the meantime, as we, we try to explore what an ideal workflow would look like with Prisma in a worker. Phenomenal answer. Thank you. Yeah, that lines up pretty well with my expectations. Also awesome to hear that Prisma's continuing to invest. I don't know, or, or invest in the edge. I don't know like how much I am putting you on the spot. I have no idea even what your role is at Prisma, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on like Prisma's investment focus in terms of like where the energy and like the effort, the hiring is going between investing more in the edge, investing more in like the SDK and developer experience versus investing more in supporting different databases and platforms. Like I know MongoDB with huge. Yeah, for the right price, I can give you our internal roadmap. No, I'm just kidding. My boss is listening. I wasn't serious. But, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's another really good question. And obviously like the ORM and the open source side is like what got us to where we are today. Obviously we also took VC funding and we're trying to build out cloud.prisma.io and the data platform side. And my parents are always asking me how my company is going to make money. So we have to prioritize that as well in, in the long term. I will say that the enterprise side, the data platform team 
is that's a separate team. We have other people working on that. They have their own basically mini organization within Prisma. So the priorities of the paid side are not in conflict with the open source side. Those things are going to grow together. They're going to feed, feed into each other as we try and grow the future of the organization. I was supposed to say specifically to your question, Theo, like where our priorities are in the short term. I think we we're trying to shift focus a little bit from building out more database connectors. Like after we shipped Mongo, that was a pretty large effort and took a long time as it was our first NoSQL offering in the suite of connectors that Prisma can connect to. So now that that's out the door, we're really trying to shift a little bit towards filling gaps in the ORM with some of the other com competitors in the ORM space and making sure that we try and remove as many reasons as possible that someone would have to not pick Prisma. So I should, short -term I should hold my breath for DynamoDB is what you're saying. You can go ahead and, and give a plus one on that issue. That's my stock response. Give a plus one on the issue and we'll look at it eventually. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm surprised that you guys went to MongoDB conference considering there'd be no tables there. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my word. I have to, I have a hard stop. So I'll let Scott, you take us out or, or the rest of folks whoever wants to stay on. But I just want to say thank you everyone who joined and I'll see you all next week. I'll have to bat. I have a stream today at two. So in about an hour from now, if you want to check that out and continue talking all about TypeScript shit posting type stuff like this, I'll be there at twitch.tv slash the PPM. Thank you guys again so much for letting me drop in. Yeah, all right, go check out Theo. Be talking about more loveliness and always a good time. So <clears throat> thank you all so much for joining us today. Man, we had some awesome conversations today. Some great people join us. Thank you all for those who joined us last minute here. Austin, greatly appreciate that, man. It was good to hear more about Prisma, especially from someone from Prisma. So always good stuff. If you got any value from anybody up here on stage, please feel free to click on their face and follow them if you're not already. Yeah, maybe even those who jumped out already, if you're listening to the replay, follow them. And I'm sure they'll be very appreciative. Also, hey, give us a follow too, JavaScript Jam. We do this every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, JavaScript Jam Live. So for next, for now, that's pretty much sums it up. And uh, we'll be doing more awesome conversation next week on JavaScript Jam Live. Thank you all so much, and we'll see you then.